0: I'd like to ask you to bow your heads with me as we go to prayer before we open the Word together. Our precious Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning in the name of our precious Jesus Christ, we thank you for these wonderful and deep truths that we've just sung as reminders of the the depth of your mercy and grace and love for us. Father, I pray that as we have gathered together this morning, whether we came with this intent or not, Lord, I pray that as we open your word together, that it would truly be the desire of our hearts, that that the greatest thing in all of our lives would be to know you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you to go with me to 1 John chapter 4 this morning. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to go to verses 7 through 12 this morning. And I want to begin before we look at the passage together, I want to begin by asking you a couple of questions. You don't need to answer, but these are questions to spur your thinking just a little bit this morning. What is perfect love? Here's one question for you. What is perfect love? And how about this question? Where can one find perfect love? <laughs> you know, there's this is very likely, it's very likely that every, every person on earth, in, in some way, shape, or form, in, at some point in time, is looking for perfect love. They want to know what perfect love is and they want to know where to find it. I have a number for you 2,090,000. 2,090,000. I did a quick search on the Internet the other day to see if anyone else was interested in perfect love. <laughs> and it turns out that in the, in the search results that I performed, I found 2,090,000 results. I didn't have time to go read them all for some reason. Just did a search for those two words, perfect love. Just those two words connected and found 2,090,000 results thanks to Google, right? That's what people say You know, I say, Google it. I Googled it. And I came up with 2,090,000 results, and I just skimmed through the first 20 pages of results or or so just looking for the kinds of things that people are putting out there in connection with perfect love. In my search, I discovered references references to songs, (laughs) right? Turn on any radio, listen to any radio station for two minutes, right? And you'll find a song about love. Perfect love, or otherwise. Songs about, or uh, uh, pages about movies. Results about movies. Results about self-help books, um, novels written about perfect love. Poetry, of course, written about perfect love. Pictures, portraits, counselors we're to help you discover perfect love. I guess. Dating services. Yeah. Discussion groups, radio stations. I even found Bible studies. I found churches and ministries uh, with ministries that were geared toward perfect love. And if you know the Internet, I found much more, to say the least. Everyone in some way, shape, or form at some point in their lives might have this question. It It may not verbalize it. It may not come out like this. But it might be, what's perfect love and where can I find it? This morning I want to take you to the Scriptures, which is where we should go for answers like this, right? When we're looking for answers about things that, cont- that pertain to life, which everything does, we ought to go to the Scriptures for the answers. And I want to take you to the Scriptures this morning. And I want to show you the source of perfect love. Because there is a source, and if you want to know perfect love, if you want to experience perfect love, you ought to know the source. Now we find in God's Word what the world is looking for. Far too often the world is looking in all the wrong places. Let's look in God's Word. First John chapter four. Go to verses seven and following, I'll read through verse twelve. Follow along in your copy of God's Word. And there's that word again this morning. Beloved. Good morning, beloved, right? Beloved. Let us love one another says John and John is speaking to the church here don't forget this that's why he says beloved and i can rightly say to you this morning beloved let us love one another could you please you know i think i, I think i kind of hear john saying that i kind of think i see john saying that here verse 7 beloved let us love one another for Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, John again says what he has said earlier in 1 John. If you've been with us during our studies in 1 John, if you've read all of 1 John anytime recently, you might recognize this theme because John's coming back to something he stated earlier. God's children are to love, right? Love one another. God's children are to love one another. We noted it in First John chapter three. If you want to, go back to chapter three, First John verse 11, where John says, "For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Now well, that was in chapter three. And here in chapter 4, verse 7, he says it like this. Verse 7, again, Behold, uh, Beloved, let us love one another. And now he says, here's why. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You see, those who have true knowledge of God, those who have, and what I mean when I talk about true knowledge of God, those who have repented of sin... And those who have trusted in Jesus Christ are to love. If you know God, if you have repented of your sin and you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are to love. And then in verse 8, look at verse 8 again. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, the truth is that a true follower of Christ loves. Here's why we love. A true follower of Christ, one who truly knows God, loves because because they know God. Because they have fellowship with Christ. The truth is that a true follower of Christ loves because they know God. They don't love before they know God. You know, this world talks a lot, the world we live in, from the search that I illustrated with, talks a lot about love. Talks a lot about genuine love and true love and real love and perfect love. But the world doesn't know what it is if it doesn't connect love with the author of love. The truth is that a true follower of Christ will love because they know God. They love because they are God's child. True knowledge of God leads to love. You know why? You know, this isn't the natural bent of human beings to truly love others in a a right way. There's a lot of things bandied about as love in our society that aren't really love. They're really selfish love. You know, self-love. You know, self-fulfillment. But true love, real love, that's God's kind of love, isn't natural in human beings. You can't create it yourself. And so true knowledge of God leads to true love because true knowledge of God leads to a heart and a life change. You see, trusting in Christ causes regeneration in that we are new creatures, right? We know God's word. If you know God's word, you know that it says that when you trust in Jesus Christ, you become a new create, new new creature, new creation, right? Jesus Christ sends the Holy Spirit into your life to make you a new man, to make you a new woman, for children, a new child, right? People who are recreated in the, in the image of Christ. But we're still not perfect because we still have to deal with the old nature, right? Trusting in Christ causes regeneration in that we are made new creatures. We have the new nature that is of God. And that new nature works in us to grow a Christ-like love. And in another sense, there begins in us, the new believer, an ongoing perfecting of the love of Christ in us. A refining in making us like Christ. We don't don't achieve full perfection in the love of Christ the instant we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God does make us new. And He does give us a new nature. And then He begins His work in us. Transforming us. Doing the work that He intends to do in us through the work of the Holy Spirit when we yield to Him and obey His Word. Now we saw the same truth back in 1 John chapter 2. Back in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 4, if you want to go back and look at it with me. 1 John 2, verse 4, whoever says, I know him, meaning talking about knowing Christ, whoever says I know him, that, that's like you know, the person who comes along and says, I, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm a follower of Christ or I've been born again or you know I, I I go to Higgins Lake Baptist Church I'm a member I'm 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 a member of Higgins Lake Baptist Church I know God right you don't do that do you whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is put on your steel-toed shoes here, a liar, right? And just to soften a little bit, and the truth is not in him, (laughs) right? He's a liar. And the truth is not in him. The one who says, I'm a member of Higgins Lake Baptist Church and doesn't live for Jesus Christ, what do the Scriptures call you? You can shoot me if you want to, but that's God's Word, right? And this is serious stuff. Verse 5, But whoever keeps his word... Obedience, right? Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Verse 6, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk... Obedience in the same way in which He walked. So you see, regeneration leads to love because the one who knows God has the new nature which is of God. It's not our nature. It's His nature. It's ours now. When we trust in Him, it's our new nature, but it's of God. So, true faith... We say it this way. True faith without love is impossible. True faith without love is impossible. John goes on in our passage, verse 9, chapter 4, to show how we know God is love. How do we know God is love? Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that... God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Now, we know God's love by how He showed us His love. We know His love by the way He showed it to us. We know God is love and we know that God loves us because God's love is demonstrated to us in that, verse 9, He sent His Son into the world. Now how does this demonstrate God's love for us? Well, I I want to show you seven ways I see the demonstration of God's love for us here in this passage. And I think it's helpful for us if we're going to learn what perfect love is. We would better learn the definition of perfect love. And we find the definition and the source of perfect love in what God has done for us and, and the way He shows us His love. So seven ways I see here as a demonstration of God's love. Number one, in these verses... First, He demonstrates His love for us in that God sent His only Son. God didn't send His one Son from among many. God the Son, right? The Son. The one Son. God the Son. As in the Trinity, right? God the Son. God didn't send one Son from among many sons. He sent the Son his precious son and so if you can picture what's going on here picture giving up the life of your only born the one you love the one you care for the love the one you cherish giving up the life of that one for someone else Now, we can't even fathom giving up one from among many, can we? I can't. I can't fathom giving up one from among my many children. They're all equally the same to me. The love that I have for them. But envision the love of God for us in sending His only Son to face what He would face. We'll see it. That's number one. Number two. We also see God's love for us in the purpose for which Christ was sent, which was to be the sacrifice for our sins. Can you see God's love in that? In the purpose for which Jesus Christ was sent to be the sacrifice for your sins and my sins? Thirdly, We see God's love for us in that God's sacrifice of Christ His Son makes it possible for us to be God's sons by adoption. God has one Son, God the Son, but we can be God's sons by adoption. And that is a remarkable and precious privilege, to be a son of God. And so we see God's love for us in that God's sacrifice of Christ His Son makes it possible for us to be God's sons by adoption fourth we see the love of God for us in that those who repent of sin and trust in Christ gain life through Christ they gain new life now because the scriptures talking talk about the new life that we that we live now and we gain life eternal with Christ we gain new life because without Christ we are already dead in our sins And we gain eternal life with Christ. And so we see the love of God for us in in that those who repent of sin and trust in Christ gain life, real life, through Christ. But John goes further. He goes further in explaining and defining God's love for us. Look at verse 10. In this is love... Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, we know God's love for us in that He loves us before we existed. That's number five. You can see the love that God has for us in that He loves us before we ever existed. God's wrath was poured out on Christ to spare us from God's just judgment for our sin because because we need an intercessor before we ever existed do you ever stop and think about the just wrath of God you know we like we like to think in terms of how loving our God is and sometimes we have a hard time justifying love and wrath and so we can say well I like to think about a God who is Loving. Do you realize that there has to be one for the other? That, That in God's justice, there is also wrath. In His love, there is also wrath. Because we're sinners. We are born into this world as sinners. We are born as rebellious sinners who fight against God. And He loves us before we, we ever existed. And He pours out His wrath on His Son so that we can be spared His just and righteous wrath. You know, sometimes we look at the wrath of God and we think, how can that be? How can a loving God have wrath? How can a loving God have anger? Well, I'll tell you why. Because we're, we're sinners. And we're His enemies. And sinners and enemies deserve to be and must be punished because of God's holiness. Now, picture it this way. A child might look to his parent. A child who's been disciplined, right? Maybe maybe a small child who for the clearest definition of right and wrong needs a good spanking, right? And and so you you put the board on their bottom in love because you need for them to understand that what they did was wrong. For an older child, maybe it's the taking of privileges, right? And you say, look, this is this you think is a privilege. It's not a you think it's a right. It's not a right, it's a privilege. And and because you did A, I'm taking B, you know for a period of time. This is no longer something that you're allowed to do or this is something you're no longer allowed to participate in because you need to understand how serious your actions are and how sinful your actions are. And so a, a child who's being disciplined might look at a parent and say, how mean, right? How, boy, they, they're angry with me. What, what kind of wrath is that? How, how come I get that? I don't deserve that how could How can my parents do that to me? They don't love me, they hate me. That's wrath they're They're angry with me, and you might you might have been angry at some point. I would challenge you and encourage you to not discipline in anger. That's not right. It's something parents struggle with I can identify with okay. So we need to be very careful that we don't discipline in anger. But our discipline at times can seem like wrath and anger, can't it? Because we're stern. And we say, look, you can't do that anymore. That's wrong. That's sinful. And so I need to punish you so that you'll learn not to do that again. Now picture a loving God who doesn't have wrath. If you can't picture that, picture a parent who doesn't discipline. Right? And you know what happens when you don't discipline, right? Children will do whatever they want. And foolishness, says the scriptures, right, is just bound up in the heart of a child. You don't put it there, it just grows there naturally. And so a parent's job is to help form that child and direct that child and and think about a love of a parent that's lacking in just and righteous wrath. And I'm not talking about anger. But I'm talking about the punishment that must come. Now that's our God who loves us so much, who says, I can't justify withholding wrath. I can't justify withholding righteous anger. That that there must be a payment for this sin. And we know God's love for us in that He loves us long before we ever existed. And we know so because God's wrath is just and righteous wrath was poured out on who? You? On Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ takes God's wrath. Number six, we also more clearly see God's love for us in that He loves us before we love Him. You know, God wasn't hanging around just waiting for us to love Him, show some signs, you know, some positive energy toward Him, right? Or God wasn't just, you know, what I'm going to do, a little act of love towards so and so, and give them, show them a little act of love, and I'm just going to see if they recipro- reciprocate, you know, if, if the love comes back. And then, if they do, if they show me just a little bit of love, love back, did God say, then I'm just going to really pour my love on them? That's not how it works, is it? We more clearly see God's love for us in that He loves us long before we ever love Him. And He loves us whether we ever love Him or not. Romans five eight, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, God's, God loves us Romans 5 goes on to say, God loves us even while we're His enemies. Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. That's the love of God. They would look at His enemies. They would look at people who refuse to love Him. And say, I'm going to love them anyway. I'm sending my son, Jesus, to die for their sins. Number seven, God loves us so much that he sent his son to be the propitiation. Verse 10, the propitiation for our sins, placing the punishment that we deserve on Christ. Now, I've noted it before back in our study in 1 John chapter 2, this word propitiation John used. This word is a powerful and important word from the Scriptures that that we need to understand often. um, Unfortunately, some translations drop this word, propitiation. I'm thankful for the ones that leave it there because when you come to a word like this and you go, what's that mean? You go figure it out, right? And this is one of those words that's worth figuring out. Not all translations use this word, which I think is unfortunate, but I'm thankful for the ones that leave it there. It is such a wonderful truth, propitiation. Such a wonderful truth that when it is encountered by those who don't understand it, I hope they are compelled to go figure it out and to find out what it means. The New Bible Dictionary states that propitiation properly signifies the removal of wrath by the offering of a gift. Very simple definition. I want to give you a better one even for go, go even further. In the meaning of the word propitiation, John Murray writes... The doctrine of the propitiation is precisely this, that God loved the objects of His wrath so much that He gave His own Son to the end that He by His blood should make provision for the removal of His wrath. It was Christ's so to deal with the wrath that the loved, that's us, would no longer be the objects of wrath. And love would achieve its aim of making the children of wrath the children of God's good pleasure. That's propitiation. A lot of power you know, in a tough word like that. Do you see how wonderful God's love is for us? you see how wonderful and deep God's love is for us? John has clarified and drawn a wonderful picture of the love of God for us Summed up in just a few verses here. Back in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, it's just this kind of amazement about the Father's love that he points to when he says this in chapter 3 verse 1 of 1 John. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we, right? Can you put yourself there? That we, me, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Now, why all the detail about God's love? Why all the detail about the, the depth and the, and, the, and the breadth of God's love for us? Why, why so much said here about this? Well, because, you know, as writers do, John has a purpose in mind. He's going somewhere with this. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so, or like this, right? Like we just talked about. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now with that clear view of God's love for us, John is circling back to the admonition that we saw at the start to love one another. Why? Well, because for one, this is the kind of love that we are to have for one another. Why does he go through and explain God's love for us and the depths of God's love for us and give us these mental images to look at as we think about God's love. Why? So that we would know how we're supposed to love one another. Because if God loves us in such a way as to send His only Son to die for our sins, satisfying God's just wrath for our sins, through the sacrifice of His Son, so that through faith in Christ we may live, then we ought to love one another. If God does this for us, who are we to not aim at that perfect kind of love toward one another? Who are we to say, eh, I just don't like that person? Aren't you glad God didn't say that about you and me? It is by God's example that we are to learn to love one another. You need an example? Don't go to Google, alright? Go to the Bible, you need an example? Don't go to the Internet. You can go there. I'm, not, I'm just saying, don't go somewhere else for your answer about what is perfect love and how do I find it. Go to God's Word. Because there is no better definition of true and genuine and righteous and just and holy love. There is no other definition of perfect love but what we find here in the Scriptures. Now, the problem we face is that we say, wow, that's how God loves. How do I do that? How can I do that? And I agree. I don't know how you can do it. I don't know how you can do it. Okay. And I don't know how I can do it, but I know how he can do it. So let's talk about that. You see, this love is not something we initiate. And you need to remember this and be encouraged because this isn't something that you initiate. It's not something that I initiate. This love is not in our own wisdom nor in our own strength. You see, this love for one another is something that the Spirit of God living in us begins and initiates and grows and perfects. We have love for one another because the Spirit of God dwelling in His children initiates and perfects His love. An identifying, an identifying characteristic of believers in Jesus Christ ought to be their lifestyle of love for one another, and it can be when we depend upon the Holy Spirit. And Paul challenges us. If we were to go to Ephesians five two, just listen to this passage. Paul challenges us in Ephesians five two, and he says, "And walk in love." In other words, live this way, go this way, do this, love. Walk in love as, and again, he points to this example as well, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are to freely love one another no strings attached, not for what we'll get if someone returns our love, but because God loves us. We are to freely love one another because God loves us. Not because someone else loved us first. Not because someone else loved us in return. Not because someone else is our friend and not our enemy. We're to love because God loved us. And we're to love because He has shown us how to love, and then He has filled us with His Holy Spirit, His indwelling presence, to perfect His love in us. You see, love for one another, just like God's love for us, isn't self-centered, right? It's others-centered. It's not self-serving, it's serving others, isn't it? It's not selfish love. It's a selfless love. And it is such because the fruit of the Spirit is, first of all, love, isn't it? And when we begin to truly live out the love of Christ, we find that these kinds of things will be true of our love for one another. It's not selfish. It's not self-centered. It's not self-serving. It's others Serving. It's others centered. And it is such because of the Spirit at work within us, perfecting the love of Christ in us. The love of Christ is such because as the fruit of the Spirit is, first of all, love. And and it's the kind of love that God demonstrates toward us in that while we were still sinners, rejecting and fighting against God, Jesus died for us. It is a perfect kind of love because it is God's love for us. Demonstrated in such a clear fashion through Jesus Christ. We're blessed, aren't we? To have a Father who loves us so. To have a Heavenly Father who sends the Son so that we can be sons by adoption because of the wrath poured out on the Son, Jesus Christ. Who are we? Not to love one another. Who are we? Not to aim at the kind of love that God demonstrates through the Son. What a wonderful example. What a powerful testimony of the love of God for us. Do you see it? you get it? I'm going to pray that it will sink into your life, it will sink into my life, it will sink into the life of this church, so that as we grow, we grow in love. As we grow spiritually, we grow in love for one another. And that we grow in such a way that when the world looks at us, they see god they see the love of christ let's pray father i do pray this morning thank you for this echoing resounding theme of of love in your word i thank you father that your Your love for us is is rooted in your holiness and is shown to us in your your mercy and grace. Well, Lord, I thank you that, that your love is displayed among us in the sending of your Son to take our punishment so that we might be forgiven, guilty and unworthy as we are and that we may be given the the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit to to grow in and, and, and to be perfected in us, your perfect love. And so, Lord, it is with these truths before us and in our hearts and minds that I pray, Father, that you would perfect your love in us and help us to love one another. In the matchless name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.